Hey, take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 6. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the days of Noah. Have you noticed that the world is becoming more bizarre by the moment? China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, they, they are rattling their swords, itching for a war. Climate activists seek to impose their will on the entire world. Morality is spinning out of control. World economies are imploding. We are living in a world gone mad. With that reality firmly fixed in our mind, I can't think for a better place for us to go into the Word of God than Genesis chapter 6. We're in a series, we're picking it up again today, thinking straight in a crooked world. This is a verse-by-verse exposition through Genesis chapter 1 through 11, some of the most important scriptures in all the Bible. So many of our doctrines flow out of Genesis 1 through 11. Today and for the next few Sundays, we're going to look at a man named Noah. Did you know that when Jesus was teaching his disciples about the second coming and the end of the world, he referred to the days of Noah as being a sign that his coming is near. Are you looking forward to the coming of Christ? I am. I'm looking forward to being with him. Not just being in his presence spiritually, but being in his presence physically. My goodness, what a glorious time that's going to be. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 39, Jesus said this to his disciples, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So there's a close correlation between the last days leading up to Christ's return and the days of Noah as evidence here in chapter 6 and 7 and following in the book of Genesis. So let's look at the days of Noah. And today I want to show you three characteristics of the days of Noah. And next week I'm going to show you three more characteristics of the days of Noah. Now, these were days of human progress. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. Now, according to Strong's exhaustive concordance, the description here speaks of a population explosion. Now, now think about this. People in this day and time lived 900 plus years. They, they had babies 
and children up until they were 500, 600 years old. So you can see how, uh, how the world, beginning with Adam and Eve, suddenly exploded into maybe a billion or more people during the time of Noah. It was a time of population explosion. Now, knowledge and technology also rapidly increased in the 656 years from creation to the flood. Think about this. In chapter 4, we're told that cities were built. In chapter 4, verse 20, we're told that livestock was raised. In chapter 4, verse 21, musical instruments were were, were built and music was composed. In chapter 4, verse 22, metalwork was utilized, including uh, taking brass and, and putting metals together. Today, the world's population is approximately 7.6 billion people. As you well know, knowledge is exploding in our world today. The prophet Daniel spoke of this. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel wrote, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. This is God speaking to Daniel. Conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. So God says to, to Daniel, I want you to understand that in the last days, there will be a lot of traveling back and forth. And knowledge will increase during that time. Dr. Rogers made an excellent point. He said, in the 20th century, we went from horses and buggies to splitting the atom. And that's exactly right. In one century, in one 100-year time frame, knowledge exploded. Human progress was off the charts. Technological advances are increasing at warp speed. Well, you, you've got in your pocket or in your purse, you've got a, a cell phone, maybe an iPhone, maybe, maybe a, a Galaxy, some kind of phone. And you could take that phone, and that phone is a computer. It's a computer, and it fits in your pocket. And you could take that phone, and you can text somebody on the other side of the world, and within a, a short period of time, they'll get that text. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Human progress is off the charts. Now, think about this. What does all this mean? Well, it means this. We must pay attention to God. We've got to pay attention to God. Because Jesus said that in the days of Noah, they didn't pay attention to God. And Jesus said that in the last days leading up to his coming, people will not pay attention to God. And if you're within my, in the sound of my voice today, maybe you're watching live stream, I would encourage you to pay very close attention to what God is saying in his word. Because I believe this, I believe time is running out. I believe the coming of Jesus is dear. I believe the rapture of the church could occur this afternoon if Jesus chooses to come. And we've got to be ready. We've got to pay attention to what God says in his word. So the days of Noah were characterized by human progress. But number two, there was also demonic activity. 
verse 2. Let's, let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. Now, this is an age-old, hotly debated verse of Scripture. Now, keep in mind that Satan and his angelic co-conspirators had already rebelled against God, and they had been cast out of heaven. In, in fact, Satan had always already made his way to the Garden of Eden, and he had tempted, tempted Eve and Adam in fact, he lured the human race into its present fallen condition right there in the Garden of Eden. Now, God's perfect world became a broken world. A great many scholars think that the stars, the, the sons of God reference here is a reference to fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God. And I believe they're absolutely right here. These wicked and wild demons lusted for beautiful daughters of men. And the only way, now listen to this very carefully. You say, what does this mean, Pastor? The only way demons could feed their sensuous desire was to inhabit the bodies of men. Why would the human race open themselves up to these fiendish foes of God? But they did. And the picture here is that these demon entities inhabited, possessed the bodies of men to feed their sensuous desires, and they came together, and these men, demon-possessed men, married these beautiful daughters of men, and they had children. Now, these children were mortals. They were not immortals. It's not some kind of hybrid race of people, a, a mythological race of superheroes at all. These were real human beings that were born. And the Bible says very carefully that all of this goes back to Genesis 3.15. Why would Satan organize such an attempt to destroy the human race desecrate the human race, corrupt the human race. Why would he do that? Well, he's trying to keep God from keeping his promise. Look at Genesis 3.15 again. We go to that several times. It's such a key prophecy in the Bible. In fact, it's the first prophecy in the Bible. God said to Satan after Adam had sinned against God, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. You, you see, Satan heard that judgment from God. And, and Satan knew that one day the Messiah would come from the seed of the woman. And the, he might bruise the Messiah on the hill, but the Messiah would crush his head. And when, when the victory, the final victory over Satan, sin, and death. And I believe that this attempt by Satan to demoralize and to desecrate the human race was his attempt to keep God 
from fulfilling his promise here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, whatever scam these demons employed, they entice men to open up their lives to them. The human race, including the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Seth, fell for their phony baloney promises and plunged their families into the black hole of demonic activity. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Peter wrote, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, you know, the Bible says here in the New Testament that God, in judgment of these vile, putrid demons who possess men's bodies and led them to unite with women in marriage and produce these demonic children, these, these children dedicated to corruption and violence and, and all kinds of sin. And God said, I'm going to take those demons and I'm going to put them into hell and I'm going to put them in a locked place of hell. And that's where they are today. You see, they, they crossed God's boundary. They did something that God never would allow them to do. Look at verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now the term Nephilim or, or Nephilim is a, a transliteration of a Hebrew word. And it literally means, now listen, it literally means fallen ones, fallen ones. So children were born of these unions of demon-possessed men and the women who were lying with them. And, and I'll tell you, friend, what, what those ladies produced were not some kind of hybrid demon-human beings they were human beings. They were mortals, okay? So they became no, no, notorious for their political savvy, their worldly wisdom, wisdom and their cutthroat aggression. I, I tell you, the, the results of these demon-possessed men going into the, the women produced a, a line of, of mortals who were absolutely wicked, wicked. But they were known as men of renown. You think about this. Who do we follow? Well, we follow leaders. We love to follow leaders who know who they are. They know where they're going. And they know how to get there. That's what these men of renown were like in the days of Noah. They were inflamed and strengthened by the powers of darkness. Now, if you study the prophetic scriptures, you will see that in the last days, there's going to be a tremendous spike in demonic activity that's going to take place just before Jesus comes. Paul gave us a warning. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, No, but I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice... 
They sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Unfortunately, our world today is saturated in demonic activity. More and more schools, I'm talking about public schools, are sponsoring after-school Satan clubs. Have you been reading about that lately? After-school Satan clubs. Idolatry is striving. You've you got to realize that behind, behind every idol, whether it's a physical idol or an idol created in someone's mind or heart, behind every idol, there is a demon. Young people and adults alike are dabbling in the occult. I read recently uh, of 10 young girls who were playing with a Ouija board and, and they had to be carried to a doctor. It, it affected them so adversely. Adults read their horoscope. We cannot dabble in the occult. Furthermore, we are witnessing an explosion of false prophets and false teachers who draw people away from the truth of God's Word. We're seeing it happen before our very eyes. It's exactly what Jesus prophesied would happen before He comes. I'll tell you, friend, the days that we're living in is just like the days of Noah. And we need to be ready. We need to pay attention to what God is showing us through his word and through what's happening in our world today. Pay attention to God. So what were some of the key characteristics of the days of Noah? Well, they were days of human progress. They were days of demonic activity. And third, they were days characterized by blatant rebellion. Notice verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Now, you remember when I told you that the children of these demon-possessed men and these women were mortal? Here's an example right here. Here's why I say it. It's like that. The Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also what? Flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Now, God's warning here is an act of unprecedented grace and mercy. For four generations, the sovereign God had been warning mankind in the days of Noah about impending judgment. God would not put up with man's irreverent behavior and actions forever. But God would provide a window of opportunity for man to repent. You say, well, pastor, how long was that window of opportunity open? It was open for 120 years. During that 120 years, Noah was building the ark. God commanded him to build an ark. We're going to go deeper into that in the coming weeks. And every time the people surrounding Noah heard the hammer hit a nail, every time they heard a saw cutting wood, it was like God was saying to them, repent, repent, repent. But they didn't have time for God. They were totally indifferent to God. 
Jesus said they just went right on marrying and giving in marriage. They went right on eating and drinking and doing the normal things of life. None of that stuff is bad. But they went right on doing the normal things of life. And they paid no attention to God. They were totally indifferent to God and to his word. And believe me, jumping ahead, 120 years, it would cost them their lives. Do you know how many people survived the flood? Eight. Eight people. Now, I'm jumping into next week's sermon a little bit. That's okay, isn't it? But, but I want you to understand that God told Noah that he was going to destroy the entire world by flood. But I want you to see something. It's wonderful. God gave them 120 years. They had Enoch preaching righteousness to them. They had Methuselah, whose name means when he dies it will come, speaking of the flood. They had Lamech. They had Noah, a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. And they had ample opportunity to hear what God's word was for them, their need for repentance, their need to turn away from the satanic things that were so prevalent in the world during the days of Noah. But they paid no attention. They paid no attention. Listen, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, Peter writes, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation. Now look at this. He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Do you know where Jesus was when he made proclamation to the spirits in prison? Jesus, between his death and his resurrection, went into the bowels of hell to the prison where these demonic creatures who had so infiltrated the human race and tried to desecrate them and absolutely destroy God's opportunity to send the Messiah, he went to those demons and he preached the truth to them. He preached. You know what he preached? I won. I won. I tell you, verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, He made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, For if God did not spare angels... Now he's talking about fallen angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So for 120 years, Noah preached the truth of God to men, women, boys, and girls. He told them to turn from their wicked ways, to repent. 
And during that time, he built the ark as a visual illustration of God's impending judgment. But I'm sure they mocked him, didn't they? What are you doing, Noah? Do you realize at this time it had never rained on the face of the planet? You know how God watered the, the, the planet? It was like a dew that would come down early in the morning. And he watered the planet like that. It had never rained. And here is Noah building an ark the size of the Titanic. And I'm sure people mocked at him. They laughed at him. They mocked his preaching. But you know what? Noah just kept on doing Noah knew who he was. He knew where he was going. And he knew how to get there. Now, instead of following the, the, the demon-inspired men of the day, they should have been following Noah. They should have been listening to Noah. But they didn't. They were spiritually indifferent. They were rebels against God. Our world has now become openly hostile to the Christian faith. I read about a young South Korean pastor who led a team from his church to minister to local aid workers in Afghanistan. They were arrested. And this young South Korean pastor was martyred for his faith because he dared to preach the gospel in Afghanistan and the Taliban would not put up with it. Statistics tell us that more than 200 million Christians in over 60 nations face persecution each and every day. But let's bring it home. Right here in America, we are facing growing hostility toward believers, toward the Christian faith. While you can, get, you can be put in jail for praying silently at an abortion clinic, that's how bad it's become. But that's the nation we live in. This nation that was founded on biblical principles has shaken his fist in the face of God and said, God, we don't need you anymore. We're not going to pay attention to you anymore. And I'll tell you, if you're a born-again believer, if you're serious about following Jesus Christ in this day and age, you're going to have to learn to swim upstream. You're going to have to learn to have courage and faith and to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Paul's words seem appropriate for us here. Paul in Acts 17, 30 and 31 said, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Listen, the Bible says over and over again that judgment is coming. God is going to judge this world. Before, in Noah's day, he judged the world through a flood. The Bible says in the end, at the end of the world, he's going to judge the world through fire. But I'll tell you, Fred, you may think that you are not accountable to God, but I tell you, whoever you are, however high 
view you have of yourself, I tell you, friend, you are accountable to God. One day you will stand before God in judgment. And if you're a born-again believer, you'll stand before him to give an account for your faithfulness to him the time that you were a believer here on this earth. But God has set a day, he's fixed a day when he will judge the world through a man. Who is this man? Well, this is a man who's been raised from the dead. His name is Jesus. You say, well, why would God delay? Why, why would God have such patience? 120 years here in Noah's day, 40, 40 days with Jonah in Nineveh. You remember, Jonah went to Nineveh, wicked city of Nineveh, and he said, in 40 days, God is going to destroy this place. God is such a God of mercy and grace, and he gives people a chance. Let me close by, by reading a passage out of 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water." But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to wake up. We live in a world that's gone mad. And we better pay attention to what God is saying through his word. Our days mimic the days of Noah. And I believe it's a clear indication that the Lord is coming soon. And I believe that he's delaying to give people a chance to be saved. Maybe he's giving you a chance to be saved. Maybe he's giving your, giving your son or your daughter a chance to be saved Maybe he's giving a, 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 a person that you go to school with a chance to be saved because he loved, he does not want any to perish. Oh, listen to me, friend. Have you, have you bought into the lies of Satan and his sadistic cohorts? Are you dabbling in the occult today? God's patience will one day come to an end. You mark it down. Now, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I'm telling you what, I, what I'm saying to you is right out of the Scripture. 
It's not something I'm making up. It's not some sensational something I read in a magazine. It's right out of the Word of God. God's patience will come to an end. Now is the time to repent of your sin and to place your faith in Jesus as your one and only Savior and Lord. And I want to invite you today to do that. You say, well, Pastor, I didn't come today to do that. But I'll tell you, friend, the Holy Spirit has a way of arresting your attention. The Holy Spirit has a way of taking the Word of God like a sharp two-edged sword and piercing your heart down to the very division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And I want to invite you to come to Christ today. I wish I could tell you that you've got plenty of time left. I, I don't know. I don't know. You, you, you may, listen, Jesus may tarry for another hundred years. I don't know. Or he might come tonight for the church. Or you might die tomorrow. Or you might live another 50 years. We don't know. But i tell you one thing I'm sure of. I'm sure of that as long as you have a breath in your body, you have a chance to get right with God. You have a chance to be saved. And I'm telling you, if you have a chance to be saved, reach out and take it this morning. Don't wait. Don't gamble with your soul. Jesus said your soul is the most important part of your life. It's more important than what you own. It's more important than what you have in the bank. It's more important than anything in your life. For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, Jesus said. There's nothing to compare with the importance of your soul. Give your heart to Jesus this morning. I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship together. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do what you desperately need to do today, and that's to show that you've paid attention to God. That you're ready to repent of your sin and receive Jesus by faith as your personal Savior and Lord. Come to Christ today. But now you may be a believer in this room. And I want to encourage every believer in this room to reject every form of ungodliness and worldly desires. Seek first the kingdom of God. Live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Anticipate the coming of Christ. Hey, I want to invite believers to come to this altar and to bow humbly before your Lord and ask the Lord to help you to live for Him the rest of your days, whether it's a short time or a long time, ask him to help you to live for him. Call before the name of the Lord this morning with bended knee right here at the altar. Call before him the names of your lost loved ones, your lost children, your your lost grandchildren, your lost friends, neighbors, acquaintances, fellow students. Call their name before the Lord and cry out to God for their souls. Pray for them. It's time that we pay attention to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would move with incredible power and authority in this room. 
move with authority in our hearts, Lord. And I pray that we would obey you, that we would pay attention to you. And Lord, for every person that you're calling them to be saved, I pray they'd listen and obey. For every believer that needs to come to this altar, Lord, lead them to this altar. Have your way in our heart, Lord, in Jesus' name.